Welcome. You're listening to Activist NYC, the podcast on Family FM, recording inside Canal Street Radio. I am your host, Cindy Trin. Activist NYC is an ongoing documentary photo project about activism and social justice movements in New York City. This podcast is an extension of my Activist NYC project and will include interviews with activists, organizers, and political leaders in our city. My goal is to learn about what motivates activists to do the hard work they dedicate their lives to and discuss the important issues surrounding the people of New York. Stay with us. Today's guest is Adele Free Pham. She's a mixed-race Vietnamese-American documentary filmmaker with experience in all aspects of production, including producing, cinematography, editing, and direction. Her first documentary, Parallel Adele, about mixed Asian identity premiered at the CAM Fest way back in 2009 and went on to screen at the Smithsonian and broadcasted on PBS. While producing her new film, Nailed It, Adele has been working as a freelance filmmaker and developing new projects. Her short film, State of Oregon, was released by Field of Vision and is currently being developed into her next feature documentary. Welcome, Adele. Hi. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, let's dive right in into your uh, film that, just, that you just released, Nailed It. Yeah, it's going to be on PBS, uh, America Reframed on World Channel on PBS, um, May 7th. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. On PBS. So mm-hmm. tell, tell us a little bit about Nailed It. Like, wh- what, uh, what's it about and what inspires you to, to create it? It's uh, uh, about the Vietnamese salon industry, history, legacy, culture, um, which of course you know about because you're from California, from Southern California. Yeah. So growing up, I always knew it was a thing. I knew these Asian salons where I grew up in Portland, Oregon, were most definitely Vietnamese. Um, but I didn't necessarily want to be associated with it because it was looked down on. So, you know, you shuffle that to the catacombs of your mind. And then years later, living in New York, I feel like I had changed a bit politically sort of becoming irritated with the lens that America views Asians in this country, Asian Americans. I don't know if they really see us as Asian Americans. And I knew that historically all these salons are Vietnamese. And what's that all about? Like, why would this one group of people take this business? And um, so I, you know, I I basically kind of started out as a lot of documentaries do, just trying to answer a question. Why do so many Vietnamese people do nails and through it the thing that surprised me most was how much I was missing my own culture so I like to say that it was a way for me to infiltrate my culture in a uh, peculiar kind of way because I'm observing them so it's like I'm observing my people doing their thing trying to figure out why they do their thing there are a lot of surprising things that I learned along the way Um, but for me that was the most emotional, perhaps, um, that I was kind of creating a context for my own identity in America as a descendant of a Vietnamese refugee. 
And a lot of the the people that you encountered in the nail salons were most of them women. No, I mean they were mostly women, mm-hmm. but um, a lot of men do nails. And my main character, who became a co-producer on the film, is a man and an amazing character and hilarious and everything I wasn't expecting to find. So I knew there was really a lot to this story. Um, pretty much when I flew to California just to do some um, preliminary research interviews, I knew that I had a really great story on my hands. So like when I, when I, um, when I actually uh, learned about your film, I thought a lot about that New York Times piece. I don't know if you read it, but back in, like a God. few years ago, like back in 2015, there was a New York Times piece that came out um, it was like an investigative journalistic piece, and it was all about the nail salon industry here in New York. And um, you know, it, it talked about how there was a lot of unsanitary working conditions, how there was a lot of unfair labor practices, and how um, you know a lot of nail salon employees were being were vastly underpaid and uh, vastly overworked and. And I thought about like the reaction. There was this uh, huge reaction in the in the public that, wow, this is happening. Like, oh, Asian Americans are struggling. Like, there's this hmm. stereotype, right? We call it the modern minority myth. There's this stereotype that Asians are, uh, you know, successful and wealthy, and and we're we're all we're all educated and we have money, but then that really ignores those who don't fit that stereotype, the people that are struggling and um, working these hard, low-wage jobs. And you know, were you thinking about that when you made your film? Like Most about definitely. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Most definitely. I mean, um, my father is one of those Asians that doesn't fit into the myth. First of all, I'm mixed, you know, so my mom is white, but he worked a back-breaking job for, like, 25, 30 years, okay, mm-hmm. um, and was met with racism every single day. So that's always, that's a part of me. That's a part of my package when I look at any um, socioeconomic situation, really. Like, I think I come from a working class background. um, And it's sort of infuriating being talked about as an Asian because we don't speak up for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So that article series came out while I was in the midst of production. So, you know, everybody was forwarding that to me. And I'm like, hold up, wait a second. New York's so funny. It's the only place where the Asian market is not run by Vietnamese people. It's run by Chinese people in Brooklyn, perhaps some Koreans own those salons. I don't know the inner workings, really. Historically, Koreans have run the nail industry here. Um, Manhattan, Koreans run the nail industry, and they were vilified in this thing, right? And those Asians fought back, too, didn't they? That was Mm -hmm. was a funny thing. You know, I had to question some of the reporting in the article. I was glad that the onus was the importance was put on the health of the nail salon workers, but my experience and research contradicted a lot of the terms of that work. One of them being like, remember that movie Crash at the end? You know, the one that won the Oscar. Yeah, the Oscar film, yeah. At the end, like, Ludacris, like, rescues all these Asian women from the back of a white (laughs) van, you know? Like, you know, they're going off to become um, trafficked or whatever. And they jump out of the van. And that that visual was used in the series to kind of show us that this was a similar situation. But I know that a lot of 
workers like that white van that the employer provides if they all happen to live in the same suburb of Queens where the hell they're coming from you know because you really want to take the MTA to your job (laughs) or do you want this van service right so our perceptions of Asian people are totally informed by the media and the media has always done a a ratchet job a, a hatchet job on the Asian salons they've always really portrayed them as a um unsanitary seedy place where people are being constantly disrespected and um you know there's always going to be bad salons right and my film really shows the other side of it and where this industry came from and what it did for this group of people in this country that didn't particularly want them yeah well Vietnamese refugees were not welcomed here at, at first, right? Um, like most refugees that come to this country, it's very parallel to you know Syrian refugee crisis that's happening now. In that, um, you know, when Vietnamese refugees were coming here, uh, people, racist people in America, were saying you know the same thing that they're saying now, like, oh, don't let in the terrorists, don't let in the communists. They're you know they're they're going to infect America with their communism even though these people were fleeing the communism that had forced them out of their homes and so um you know Vietnamese people were definitely uh met with a lot of barriers and obstacles and they had to work really hard to overcome that and and I what I love about um you know just working class people and people like the Vietnamese who have always sort of had to you know, um, overcome so many, so many different, uh, so many different obstacles like colonialism and imperialism. Um, somehow, we as a people have always managed, right, to to pull through and get through the through these horrible hardships. And Vietnamese people have established themselves in this country. It took many years, right? But we've established ourselves in this country in a, in a sense in that. And the nail salon industry is such a huge example of that, right? Like how we've uh, pulled together as a community and figured out like a niche for many Vietnamese uh, people that came here to this country and we are a very new immigrant group so you know of course uh there's a lot of issues that we still face a lot of racism discrimination i know growing up like i still do i still face racism well, even recently didn't you get assaulted in new york city oh yeah that was that was just like uh during the time when trump got elected well, if you're a white chick that probably wouldn't happen i mean people may not know that you're vietnamese but they know you're asian by yeah. looking at you yeah sometimes what triggers people about me is me being mixed i'm trying to think mm. like the vitriol i mean i don't hear it that much the mis- most vitriolic thing that happened recently was like a mainland chinese got fob ran up on me and my boyfriend and started laughing in our faces because our skin tones are so different and our child you're, you're is in an interracial relationship correct? right yeah. yeah so i mean there's a whole lot to unpack with vietnamese people there yeah. so although you know i have a lot of pride in what we've been able to accomplish i think that we could do better and in terms of like mm. taking over the narrative of the nail salon how many scientists do we have in our community and really? pharmacists and, and doctors yeah. and lawyers now yeah. i have so many people in the health industry right are we just gonna let the older generation suffer and die if that's what's happening if that's what's really happening inside the nail salon shouldn't we be the ones who are really controlling how the lives of our people are affected 
Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, and I want to ask you a little bit actually more about uh, being in an interracial relationship. And you have a daughter, right? You have a very young daughter. Yeah, she just turned one oh. two days ago. Oh, happy birthday Thanks. to Leo. Yeah. Her name is Leo, right? Yeah, Leonora. <laughs> yeah. So how how was that experience for you being a mom and being in an interracial relationship in America too? I mean, like. I grew up like with my parents being different and not like my dad being an Asian doctor or student and my mom being white, but my dad being a refugee welder and my mom being white in Portland, Oregon. And not everybody likes to see that, especially in the 90s and late 80s. Those are the times I recall. So my new project is really going back to Oregon, showing how these racial exclusion laws that the state was formed by um, really informed my family's experience living there. When I was growing up, I recall an era when we had an issue with neo-Nazis in my neighborhood. You know, my mom would tell me not to walk by the skinhead house. So as I started to unpack this story my whole life, um, how my parents met, what the circumstances were like, why they have no friends in common, why they're still really isolated, I mean, it's just sort of like a continuation of the investigation that my life is about, I guess, you know? So, and I live in New York, so it's pretty chill. Um, my boyfriend's from New York. It's like, uh, when, that a when that Chinese guy did that, we just had to laugh. And like, I had to tell him off a little bit, even though he didn't speak English. Like, what the fuck, man? You're like not in the village right now. I don't know who brought you over here, but you need to chill. That I was, mean, there's still crazy. a lot of anti-black sentiment within oh, the yeah. Asian community, right? Yeah, like, that, yeah. Yes. Within the Vietnamese community, there's a lot of people that voted for Trump. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, that that to me is so disturbing too because it's totally. like, I mean, first of all, mainly because of religion is why, and then secondly because the abortion thing, you mean? Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of Vietnamese. How many abortions Catholics has Trump paid for? Please. <laughs> <laughs> I know. How many how many nail salons but have been lost in his casinos? It's please. also like it's also like a lot of Vietnamese, a lot of older Vietnamese. I they know. think Republicans saved them, right? Which is a lie. Which is a lie. He coasted on Jimmy Carter. He yeah. like signed Jimmy some shit. Carter was the one that actually signed the bill <laughs> to allow Vietnamese refugees to come here. Yet for some reason, Vietnamese people think like. You know, Reagan is like their savior, their white savior. And it, they come in here, they see who's on the top and who's on the bottom. A right. lot of these people got placed in low-income neighborhoods that didn't want them either. But that racist, the anti-blackness was already with them. If you see the way mixed black children who got left behind in Vietnam are treated, you'll see the whole story of our people and what we're really about. So, you know, every, are, every culture has problems. Yeah, like, please, these people are racist as fuck and not all of them you know and i think the newer generation i'm really inspired by them i wish you would come to see the trinity minha screening at mazel's because she just like incorporated some amazing contemporary poetry into her latest film and i just thought it must have been from the old school like old school vietnamese poet style these are young people that are recontextualizing pain that they're not even allowed to talk about that may have wiped out a large portion of their family and is just not discussed in that country and it's amazing how this violence doesn't leave us you know um sorry i don't know how anti-blackness got into this i'm talking about war babies right <laughs> so i get you know i got very upset when i went to vietnam like for the first time 10 years ago and just like it's really sad um 
yeah, the war, the the impressions of the war are still there. So I can only imagine being like a war baby, half black war baby left in Vietnam with these people. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, when I was, I just got Ooh, back from Vietnam and I still feel a lot of that uh, tension between the South and the North. So my family really? in the South, oh yeah, like yeah. I met some of my family for the first time uh, in Saigon and you know, people call Ho Chi Minh City now, but I still call it Saigon. And um, so when I met some of my family there, they immediately were uh, quick to, you know, warn me about people in Hanoi. Like, <laughs> oh, be so careful about the Hanoi people. So <laughs> like, I was like, why? What's going on up there? They're like, There's, people are just different up there. They're they just, are, yeah. though. They are, they though. They speak yeah. different. They do. They do. They they are. I mean, they're nice too, but they're nice because they want something out of you, kind of. Well, but the main complaint is that now that's the gu- like people used to starve in New York. That's in New York in the North. That's what yeah. they used to say, you know. Yeah. So when communism came, all these northern criminals just rushed down and stole all our good land or whatever. I think yeah. that's kind of in their thinking. Yeah. Um. But the the uh, administrative governmental head is there, so there's a lot of people like you know, politicians, children, Mm -hmm. people just getting paid to be part of the bureaucracy. So they resent that they have to pay tax. Yeah, (laughs) a little bit lot. Um, But that's so funny that it's just the same... Yeah, right? Yeah. We don't even like each other. So what are you talking about? Yeah. Immunity. Yeah. And like my mom and my parents, like, oh, they, you know, especially my mom, like she can't even go back because she still feels so much like hurt and you know she's just so distraught still about the whole like about the war about having to leave her homeland like she she gets so emotional about it she she can't even talk about without crying and so like the thought of her even wanting to come back to vietnam is just it hurts her too much like even when i said i wanted to go back she was just so worried about me like thinking like don't let the communists like take (laughs) take you know like brainwash you and i'm like mom i'm not gonna let anyone little does she know you're a communist yeah (laughs) (laughs) well i wouldn't call myself a communist i'd probably call myself a democratic (laughs) socialist all the different terms for it now um but yeah i mean it was it was it was very eye-opening for me too because you know as as a vietnamese american I'm, I'm constantly battling between my dual identities between like i'm ethnically vietnamese but my nationality is american like i was born in america so i don't quite belong in um, vietnam obviously because i'm american i was born here but because i'm physically racially vietnamese and i you know i look asian um people don't also quite uh feel like i belong in america because i'm always seen as foreign or other right and there's always that that hardship uh for people of color i think in general that oh we don't belong here because america is supposed to be white Right, and this is like this whole yeah, it's not like, incredible. It's still going on. Yeah, I mean, white supremacy is obviously very much alive and real, as we've seen in the news of all these. Or the last vestiges, like yeah, angry air grabs that have real ramifications. I mean, because it is going to end at some point, but yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's so disturbing to see because. I was born in this country, right? Like, <laughs> but yet, like, there's people in this country who don't think that I belong here. So where do I belong? Because you don't belong in Vietnam. Either. Yeah, because I don't necessarily belong in Vietnam. Although I'm wondering, like, do I belong in Maybe. Vietnam? Maybe. 
know, yeah. Yeah, maybe There's I do. There's people from live. our generation born here are going back and yeah make a living there yeah they're going so, back to, to vietnam they're finding like their roots and they're kind of going back there because america hasn't been that dream that they were told you know right. like the the whole american dream is just an illusion right it's just an illusion for and it's funny because our parents came to america to f you know for a better life and then now their children are wanting to flee america to go back to their like motherland for a better life it's just it's just like wait yeah. this is very backwards here like what's going on right america was supposed to be this promised land and then it turned out to be like a total failure so it's like now yeah as a con but at the same time we're having this podcast i mean i i i ask myself this if i really did become a real activist you know what would the ramifications of that be in this country i mean people do wind up dead here but in vietnam there's still a chance you could be locked up for a very long time oh yeah definitely. cambodia and probably you could be shot in the head too if you really tried to get involved in this mm -hmm. money making machine so it's you know, like everything, it's nuanced. It's, it's not nuanced. just one way, but we have to like take control of the narrative here, people. Like this is insane. I mean, it's comedy when I'm watching these Cohen hearings and then oh right, so Michael Cohen hearings our president happening. in yeah. Vietnam right now. Speaking of, in yeah, the <laughs> yeah, our <laughs> he's back I now. know. I'm just I w when I saw images of Donald Trump and Kim Jong Un in Hanoi. <laughs> like i cringe i was like oh god like the two worst people on the planet in vietnam like why right <laughs> the two worst leaders in the motherland you like know, uh, i hope our parent generation sees that and it does something in their brain and sees with that red flag with the star on it waving around for donald trump and kim jong-un that's the <laughs> that's the guy you elected please yeah what I do mean, you, what I wonder how many. My father didn't vote. My father didn't oh, vote. Didn't um, he? But didn't. He's from Oregon. Like, with their, with their practical people as well. Although Oregon was close because Hillary was such a terrible candidate. Oregon came closer than we thought it would to actually being Trump country because you know as soon as you get out of the cities it, it becomes red again like yeah. almost immediately everywhere everywhere that's and why she Oregon, lost Oregon is actually founded on white supremacy well that's what my film was about this yeah. is what I'm going um you know back to I've been working on your it. film fields of, from fields of vision state right? of Oregon yeah it's state a of Oregon series so the hate crime that I document the trial is just getting started now it's been delayed two or three time so I'm, i got permission to film that trial and that's one aspect of the story another story is when my father was shot in portland oh wow it wasn't necessarily a hate crime because the guy that shot him was cuban but it just wasn't he got no help until his homies were randomly coming around the corner and um it wasn't investigated it wasn't prosecuted so oh my god that kind of shows you and this was a year before vincent chin yeah and it had nothing to do with his job but he was working in the shipyards at that time you know and just the stories that i've heard of what that was like working in in that environment was pretty bad yeah for, for vietnamese guy okay for listeners who don't know about vincent chin so vincent chin was um a chinese man who was brutally murdered by 
um, two white men who thought he was Japanese and they were angry because the Japanese auto industry was coming into America at the time. This is back in the 80s. So the, the Japanese auto industry was coming to America at the time. And uh, so a lot of workers, um, they were being, dis you know, they're losing their jobs and they blamed that on um, the Japanese. And so these two men at a bar just saw Vincent Chin and assumed that he was Japanese even though he was not. And they started provoking him, and then they beat him with baseball well, bats and killed him. Well, it's a little more project, project, protracted than that. I mean, yeah. he actually beat them up. He had had less to drink. There was a strip club, and he's in the strip club. And this was a, a father and his stepson that beat him to death. Yeah. So they got into some sort of fight, stripper. Yeah. If you watch a film, you see it, Who Killed Vincent Chin, great mm -hmm. film. So he actually wins the fight and then his homie vincent's homie is like let's get out of here right these two white men track him and find him in another area his friend runs off i believe something happened like that and they beat him to death this is not entirely dissimilar from what happened to my father because he yeah. kicked this guy's ass who happened to be cuban and the guy came back with a gun and with ambushed gun. him when he was leaving a bar oh my god <laughs> so, like moral of the story is that sounds really similar <laughs> control your drinking well, that's not the real moral, but you can't trust yeah. these white people. So why are you going to act like that? But like these these white men like premeditated, committed like premeditated assault, and you know, and yeah. and none of them. Uh, the, so in Vincent Chin's case, those two white men they never served any jail time for no, killing no, someone. No, no, he's still uh, yeah. They uh, never every served. Year, a, you know, Corky Lee or like a few years yeah. ago, they did like a, a amazing troll. Like they just went to his killer's house. I think they're just across the street protesting. Like, <laughs> yeah. He where does he he lives in like New Mexico or Arizona or somewhere. He has his pe he has his social security. He's fine. Wow. He got away with killing. He this got man. away with killing somebody. Yeah. yeah. Um, so and or we all so know why you know, but people forget that. Yeah. It's weird that we always ha this is the only hate crime case that we reference as Asian Americans when there's been more. More. We just don't report it or it doesn't get picked up by the media yeah but it definitely happens no it happens all the time yeah and nail salons as well i've heard of assaults in well that nail salon owner in las vegas who just got run over by a white customer who Oof. looked like a meth head but she was trying to skip out on her bill as a lot of people do a lot of people try to rob nail salons or not pay for service and, you know, you could, like I just did with my father, you could blame the lady and say, well, she shouldn't have jumped in front of her car like that. This lady shouldn't have mowed her over intentionally and taken her life yeah. like that. Like, this, <laughs> like, come on. And she was heated in the moment. She probably didn't think she would do that either. But you know what? Our lives don't really matter unless we make them matter. And I didn't see a lot of Asian people rallying around this woman in Las, in Las Vegas, you know? Because I think people are still embarrassed about nail salons and the fact that she jumped in front of the car and this and that. But I, I can't tell you why. But, you know, Las Vegas is a mess. I've heard about um, nail salon men uh, being beat up in Arizona. Similar thing. Like, just moved into town to start a new salon. This is what Vietnamese people do. They go to fallow land to build salons where there ain't shit. Because that's, like, the entertainment for the town. Women, folk. A lot of times, you know, that's why you have that Asian face in your town. And whatever, this, someone doesn't like it, you know, they they can beat you up with impunity, you know, if you don't, whatever, raise hell, and that could get you hurt too. 
or get you run out of town in some other way. And that's Arizona. I don't even think about these states. <laughs> I barely do <laughs> oh, either. Yeah, like I breeze through them. Yeah. Um, I, so I was just thinking about like your films and and you know you're about to go you're about, you're about to go to Oregon right to film this tri- this trial. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so that's gonna and also Teresa Rayford, one of my characters, is running for mayor in 2020. Oh, wow. So that's a big part of it as well. Yeah. She started an organization called Don't Shoot Portland, and yeah, you know, I've watched them for years now. They just do the work, and with yeah. this activism game, it's about the work. It's about shit, the work, and where shit yeah. falls apart is where people don't show up to do the work. Yeah. But I wanted to ask, like, what do you hope to achieve with your films? Like, what is your you know, what do you, when you're making these films, like, what do you hope to do? Like, change people, impact yeah, people? change people. And yeah. not always, always from a moralistic kind of way. Like, it could be come from anywhere. That change could come from anywhere, you know? I do it with humor a lot. Um, each film is different as well. I would like the State of Oregon series to be shown in the public school system because this was a history that was denied to me, even yeah. though I was a, a product of the public school system in Portland and, you know, straight-A student, whatever. I didn't know about this until my 20s. Now it's on the radar. The Atlantic writes about it. Here, you know, there's all these little video, MTV little video about exclusion laws. But it wasn't like that when I was growing up. So there's some hope in this internet age that information can get out there and get into the ears of the young people. Um, But that's not guaranteed. And honestly, a lot of these young people just have no support in their lives. So there's a lot that we need to work on. But yeah. I think documentary film can be a, a tool for all of it. Yeah, I, w- I, I also wanted to follow up on that and talk about like how documentary film and documentary photography, like because you're a documentary filmmaker, I'm a documentary photographer, and just like how we can use our skills and, and you know these tools to help educate the masses and, and get people talking about these issues, right? And and I think it's so important um, for us as, you know, people with these kind of roles, right, these do- documentary film and documentary photography um, to utilize our skill set to, you know, to for for better, to better our country and, and for our that society. shit to be funded and it yeah. become a healthy system. So we that's need my more goal. funding for it. I would love <laughs> sure. for um, the PBS strand in Oregon to fund this project. So, yeah, you know, it's just so hard to get like the money for these yeah. projects, but they're so important, right? Right. But I want to dive into a little bit about being a woman and being a documentary filmmaker, right? Because I know as a woman and being a photographer, it's it's there's been so many uphill battles, right? Like yeah. dealing with toxic masculinity and a lot of sexism and, you know, especially in the media, right? It's so heavily white male dominated. And, you know, like, what do you, what, what do you think we can do about that as women of color and people of color and like LGBTQ folk to like get more representation? I mean, I think we just have to pay our own services in a way like of course we should demand what we should be getting from the federal government but like we have to pay for the content that we want that's like why is there no asian network that's worth a damn why is bet trash like with streaming you know there's more opportunities for different groups to create a streaming service and produce the content that reflects their lives 
or the changes that they want to see in society or the changes that are being made that go completely unreported. I mean, there's lots of ways to do it. One of my grants, which you should apply for, the Asian Women's Giving Circle, I wish they had more money. This is uh, Asian women, you know, money-making women who start an organization to fund our own arts projects. We need to be doing that for ourselves instead of like begging for crumbs from these people because they want us to be at the bottom. At yeah, the the I've day. applied to that. I know I didn't. Get you know, it. Get, <laughs> a lot of people, and then you get turned off. And you're like, "Fuck, man!" I've yeah. spent like how many hours? How many hours? Days, weeks of my life. It, yeah, but Ugh. you know. I don't know what the combination is. It really is who you know, um, unfortunately. It is. And a luck. lot of it. Yeah. And luck, too. And luck. So yeah. I, what's a woman of color filmmaker more established than me told me when I was kind of in a dark place some months ago was this industry is about the long game. Mm. And I'm looking at all the players in the industry, and they've been around for a minute. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So don't get so tied up on the pressure of this, like, instant culture where, like, you need to be an influencer at yeah. 19 and a half. You need to be, like, a Kylie billionaire or whatever. <laughs> it's like, first of all, we don't even have the background. We don't even come from that kind of money. A lot we of don't. people in our positions, their parents fund that shit, okay? Yeah. Or at least they're not paying, you know, they're living someplace because someone paid for this or that. Like, me and you, I don't know, you're your background completely you can be one of those rich vietnamese oh, i know no, them too i know them too <laughs> yeah um, there's some out there but i'm definitely not pat your, but just like pat yourself on the back you know as well and then create your own clout about that you know i'm still trying to document everything that i do in a way so it's just like yeah it doesn't go to waste because it's so much energy just even projecting so much yeah. energy, the posting or whatever. It is. It's a you lot know, of work, fuck. and and we have so many walls up, you know, ahead of but us. But now's like, the time to cut right through them walls, man. Yeah. Find your way. You, yeah. you know what? You're gonna find me with a baby on my hip. Like, yeah, let me in. Me yeah. too. Okay. <laughs> me, too. <laughs> me too. Yeah. It's just, I think, I think being women and being women of color, especially, we just have to work like ten times harder yeah. than everyone else, you know. And and I see like other like friends and artists and activists of mine who are women and women of color, especially, they have to work so damn hard, you know. Like, it yeah. it takes them ten times the amount of effort to do what one single white person can do in like a snap of their finger. To get through. Yeah. Who are the so. gatekeepers? I mean, I question all of these things. The whole system of it. Yeah, I do too. I mean, it's that's why that's why the system, even though it's said to be equal for everyone here, it's not because there's always people that have like you know a huge head start in front of you like it's not an equal playing field here and that's like the illusion of the american dream the, the american illusion that uh we can all just pull ourselves up from the bootstraps and make it right i mean that's that's just phony to me that's uh, yeah. so fake to me even the success of the nail salon they had this tremendous workforce coming from vietnam that's not happening anymore and you can't even start a salon for you know 10k or whatever you could in the day it takes all this money and then all the rules and regulations and yeah the cost of the products that are safer you know um we could get into a whole scientific discussion on another show or whatever but if you really want to be in compliance and you want these customers to come and return and and just the vitriol against us like the people coming in there thinking that ooh, 
they're not gonna come up on me i'm gonna make a deal with these people like this shit costs money okay time costs money product costs money and the price of a manicure has not risen in decades so please it's really one of those jobs that i think everyone takes for granted because it's yeah and like we were saying how there's this amount of shame you know like a lot of lot of Vietnamese people especially feel like it's it's a job that um isn't well respected but I mean imagine if there weren't any salons in in our communities like I don't know like like I I I do feel like it could be a place right for just people to come and like feel good about themselves in a way like like the nail salon is a place to do that right and and i don't think any job no matter like how tough it is or how dirty it gets like it's a job and everyone deserves respect so i don't think anyone should feel shame you know there's there's a lot of people that have to work janitor jobs or you know sanitation sanitation jobs or these are all like hard dirty jobs and there's honor in that so like i you know there's honor in in nail salon work i think like you're doing a service for someone you know you're providing a service to people that will make them happy in a sense right how is that different from getting your hair done right like why is it that the nail salon is looked at with shame but the hair salon is not because the vietnamese rushed in in a particular kind of way and there's already this vitriol against them like they're taking all of our shit but you know it isn't a desirable job and so you know you have immigrants coming in and they're in these environments where people are cutting corners and it creates more stress so it's the stress of the job too i don't think that they're completely faultless but you know you you let that out a little or just like even our gruff cultural gruffness you Mm -hmm. know what i'm saying like that will be spun on you so fast until you know you're the second coming of communism or whatever it was it's not even about communism anymore. (laughs) like chinese people stealing our shit like we're not even chinese well maybe the ones in brooklyn are but (laughs) you know it's just i think the songs have actually gotten better because it's so it's hyper mediated Mm -hmm. everybody knows like everyone has a camera these days so it's just not even safe to talk shit about people in vietnamese anymore i know it still happens but i i think a lot of that has just like really been cut down because of um the constant spotlight but then also viral stories about the nail salon and hopefully second generation people coming back in and being like look let's clean it up let's do it a different kind of way with the customer service um and a lot of times they really do need that person like me that intermediary inside the salon at the counter like squashing the disputes between the workers and the clients you know it's like because they don't understand each other in a way or they already have these preconceived notions about who each other are even though they're both women um that can just as you've seen on the internet explode into a (laughs) a viral messy viral video but you know that last one that red apple salon in brooklyn i'm uh-huh. not gleeful about this yeah you know, yeah I that like beat their customers with brooms. yeah i knew they were Oof. chinese you know how i knew how how because did you of know? the brooms the brooms because us vietnamese have those like jungle brooms the jungle you know? brooms yeah <laughs> <laughs> i love I 
that you could tell between like the different Asian races because of the brooms. It's nuance, baby. Nuance. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, so I want to like uh, ask if you can just uh, tell people about where they can find your films and your work and and all that. Like, yeah. where can people find out about your work? Um, uh, uh, the handles for Nailed It are all Nailed It Doc. So Nailed It D O C. I'm most active on Instagram. That gets pushed out to the Facebook. I'm on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter anymore. Um, the the website NailedItDoc.com. More about me you you can find on the Nailed It website um yeah and what else and it's gonna be uh on on uh world channel on america reframed on may 7th and that's carried by most pbs outlets but check your local listings the film is for sale um educational markets so colleges and universities is going to be a higher price but if you're a college student or a professor and want to order the film through your library at third world newsreel you can do that. Um, I will be at the AAAS conference in April. That's the biggest Asian American studies conference in the country. I'll be on a panel. Um, so I'm hoping to meet a lot of educators there. Uh, the film is still doing the festival circuit. So it's screening tonight. Yeah, well, you're not going to be on the <laughs> <laughs> straight to air. Yeah, but you know, just hit me up, and you know, we'll figure out what city you're in, and maybe and usually you post about the screenings on I your do. social media. I'm most active yeah. on Instagram. Okay, um, great. Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. So, so uh, those are some ways. Awesome. Thank you so much again, yeah, Adele, for being you. here. I really appreciate it. And thank you everyone for joining us at Activist NYC, the podcast. Your support is much appreciated. Activist NYC, the podcast, is presented in partnership with Listening Party, the creators of Family FM. Follow the crew on Instagram at Listening Party Presents and at Canal Street Market. Be sure to follow Activist NYC on Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr at Activist NYC. Tune in next time. <laughs>